welcome to Integrating for Success, a Warden Updegrove podcast. My name is Amy Noonan and I will be your host. Today we're going to do things a little bit differently. We have accounting partner Brendan McGee with us and I'm excited to chat with him today about trends in the veterinary practice management space, but also his career path and how it's developed into something pretty special and specialized. So welcome to the podcast, Brendan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. So, Brendan, I, I feel like many accountants knew pretty early on that they wanted to be accountants. They entered business programs in college and university, specialized in accounting, took co-op positions, kind of like how Warden Updegrove offers them. Um, but you and I have chatted a bit in the past, and it sounds like your path looked a little bit different. So maybe you could tell us a little bit of how you found your way into accounting and, and Warden Eftergrove. Sure. Um, I did at an early age have interest in accounting. Okay. Um, I remember one of my, my dad's best friends and he, his previous accountant um, was an accountant. And I always thought he had a good lifestyle when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I did like, I took grade, I think it was grade 11 that you take accounting. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, by the time I got through High school, I had kind of thought maybe I would do a different path. I uh, I was a I was heavy into golf as a young person, mm. and I wanted to be a club pro. So I went to the University of Guelph, mm. and I did hotel and food administration. I figured that was the best right. uh, degree for me to get to that industry. Um, after university, I moved out west. I worked at uh, Resorts of Canadian Rockies as a supervisor and a snowmaker and various oh, wow. positions, which I really enjoyed. Um, didn't make a lot of money. Uh, worked <laughs> a lot of weekends. Mm. Came back home from out west, not really sure what I was going to do next. Mm-hmm. Decided to go continue on the golf route. Uh, got a graduate certificate from Humber in pro golf management. Oh, wow. While I was there, met a lot of people, talked to them, realized that uh, that industry was, you know, you would you would end up continuing to work a lot of weekends. Mm. Um, it wasn't the greatest. I think he did that job really more for, you know, just the love of, in that case, it would have been the love of golf, which mm-hmm. I still do love. Um, <laughs> but uh, I interviewed for a couple jobs or a job is, uh, to manage a golf course. Didn't get it. Kind of went back to the drawing board. Wasn't sure what to do next. Um, a friend of mine who is a partner here now, Ryan DL, I had known him since I was three. I uh, went to public school, high school with him. He mentioned that uh, Warden Up to Grove was hiring entry-level accountants that you didn't have to be designated. I had always assumed that to work at an accounting firm, you started as a designated accountant. Um, mm. I quickly learned that that was not the case, that as you say, um, most people will article at a at a firm and, and mm. go through co-op terms. Uh, so I applied. Um, Paul Hack interviewed me, um, <laughs> who is now my neighbor. Um, I did get uh, one of the things I found intriguing about Warden Up to Grove was that they they were um, very interested in investing in mm. my future. So they had indicated that they would um, allow me to go th- to university, get what I needed to 
um, become a designated accountant and get into this back then what was referred to as the CA chartered accountant program. Right. Uh, so that really intrigued me and was a big mm. driver in my decision to come to Warden Up to Growth. Mm, okay. No um, so that's kind of how I got in the door. Once I got here, I found that I really did like it and accounting was something that really did interest me. I mm. liked the flexibility of the business working nine to five. I had had recently been married and we had talked about having kids. So mm-hmm. I knew that weekends and nights were probably not the best time to be away. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how I ended up at Warden Up the Grove. Mm-hmm. Always kind of in the back of my mind was working my way up and becoming a partner. So right. I, I did take the long route. Um, <laughs> definitely the road, the road less traveled as compared to most people in the mm-hmm. industry. But I, to be honest, I wouldn't change Anything I did, I think all my experiences were um, amazing and kind of helped making me a fairly well-rounded professional. So yeah, lots of life experience there, I'm sure. <laughs> Definitely lots of life experience. <laughs> yeah, and now you're you're part of the vet group now, which is a it's a highly specialized group within Warden Up to Grove. And in the past years, the the sort of founder of that group, Dave Legault, who if you're a veterinarian listening, you probably know that name. He's retired as a partner and he's transitioned to his role as counsel. Um, he's still quite, has been quite active in the, the buy sell flurry that went on uh, in, you know, from 2020 to 2022. And I think it's it's fair to say that he was and probably still is a mentor to the group, um, not just when it comes to best accounting practices for veterinarians, but practice management and like so much more. Um, maybe you can share a few tips or trends you've been seeing in that space. Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, Dave was and is a mentor to a lot of us that entered into the vet space at Warden Up to Grove. Uh, Dave built the, really built the practice. A few of the partners back when I started each Mm -hmm. had some vet clients. Dave focused uh, very heavily on the vets at an early uh, part in his career. Mm -hmm. I ended up working with Dave a lot as uh, before I was designated and I kind of trained under him. I worked on a lot of his files. once I became a principal, he started transitioning some of the new clients that we were mm. getting um, at Warden Up to Grove in the vet space to me. Um, we did find at that point that a lot of vets were finding that they were being kind of underserviced and they, and they weren't overly happy with mm-hmm. their with the services that they were provided by their accountant. And Dave was just such a wealth of knowledge for these uh, mm-hmm. for these owner operator dvms um mm-hmm. that it was very easy to build the practice back then we had a you know right. we just we had so many new clients coming in at once so we also attended uh we were fairly busy at the time we used to go to the actually we still do we we went to the ovc career day industry mm-hmm. day met a lot of people there uh, we went to Dave and I went to the CBO conference in Niagara Falls. The CBO conference only comes to Ontario um, every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fairly interesting. Um, the OVMA conference we continue to go to. Mm-hmm. It's much more um, lucrative, I guess, for us um, as we see a lot of our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always run into 
10 or 15 or more of our actual clients. And then we usually run into 10 to 15 other potential clients at the right. OVMA conference. So we find that that's a real, um, a real good thing for us to attend. And even if we mm-hmm. don't find any new clients, it's really nice to connect with our mm-hmm. current clients and, and just see their faces. You know, we don't always get to see everybody in, yeah. in today's world. So, mm-hmm. um, as far as performance management, uh, with the amount of vet clients that we had as a firm, mm-hmm. we were in a good position to create um, some benchmarking tools. Uh, so what we did years ago, we created, along with the help of a software company, because we're not mm-hmm. software people, uh, <laughs> we we developed a, a really useful benchmarking tool um, that allows us to compare our clients by uh, type of vet. So that would be, say, a small, large, mixed equine mm-hmm. practice. Um, it allowed us to compare by geography if we wanted to, by uh, urban versus rural sizing, um, mm-hmm. all sorts of different parameters that we can kind of put in or keep out of, of, of a certain comparison. Um, mm-hmm. And what we end up doing is we end up giving that uh, or providing a, a look um, to the owner of how the clinic performed during the year. And we'll mm-hmm. compare it to that clinic as mm-hmm. well as similar clinics right. um, that we have in our base. And also to the, um, to the benchmarking uh, parameters that the OVMA mm-hmm. uh, posts. So it, it's really, we found that it's a very useful tool and most of our clients actually want to spend more time talking about that information mm-hmm. um, as, as opposed to um, the financial statements, which tend to be more backwards looking. Right. Um, the, the comparative tool that we have uh, allows us to kind of drill down into certain areas that are performance management based and possibly identify areas where a clinic might be underperforming. Mm. Um so one big one, the three areas that we typically look at the most are production mm-hmm. um, and production is is your revenue. So right. what we really like to see is when clients have uh, broken out their revenue by providers. So that would be, you know, revenue based on each DVM or RVT or whoever's providing right. the service in the clinic by species. So that might be large animal, small animal, equine, um, and then also by product mix. Uh, so product mix would be your, say, drugs versus mm-hmm. um, a service versus pet food and stuff like that. Right. So um, when the information that that the uh, manager has has entered into the system is broken out like that, it allows us to um, break it down a little further and compare it across the board to what we're seeing in the industry. Um, we also use a big part of production is all, obviously fees. Um, most clinics uh, use the OVMA fee guide and they will use the fee guide to a point, obviously geography and competition and um, all sorts of other factors go into their pricing. But the fee guide is kind of a base um, that allows the, the clinic owners to, to set their fees. Right. Um, another big part of performance management that kind of links with production is gross mm-hmm. margin. So mm-hmm. we have um, expectations where we would 
um, want to see or expect to see a clinic's gross margin come in. And if that margin is low, then mm-hmm. that indicates that maybe there's, you know, a pricing issue or right. potentially a opportunity for cost um, analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, the final part of performance management that we look at uh, quite heavily is wages. Wages mm-hmm. after after cost of goods sold, wages tend to be the largest expense for our our veterinary clients. Um, mm-hmm. So we it's it's really nice. So what we do is we break our not all firms do this. We break our uh, our wages out on the financial statements between mm. uh, DVMs, which are the real producers, uh, the support staff, and then also the owners. That gives us two uh, sets of information that that we like to uh, be able to provide to our clients. That allows us to compare. You know what your clinic is spending on support staff versus mm-hmm. you know other clinics that are similar sizes what oh, it also cool. allows us to do is prepare a valuation that we can give our our dvm clients that um basically gives them the number that uh, a potential buyer might look at and we can say when we're in our meetings your clinic is is creating EBITDA earnings before mm. income tax depreciation and amortization. We we look at that before owner's compensation, or actually we look at it now, we look at it before DVM compensation, because mm. what a lot of buyers will do is they will take that number and they will uh, figure out how many DVMs they, they think that they need to maintain the production of the clinic. They'll use their own kind of cost model to figure out what the, um, what their DVM cost might be, and then they can get to a they can get to a number that they consider as maintainable for the future, and then they will use usually industry um, standard uh, capitalization multiples to come up with what the goodwill um, value is for that clinic. Right. Wow. We do spend a lot of time on on the vet comp when we mm-hmm. when we do. Uh, when we do meet with our clients and they do find it to be very useful. No kidding. I mean, I feel like you, you've touched on so many points that I want to go back to and I hope I can remember them yeah. all. But for, like for me, I think when people think, you know, accounting, they, they probably are thinking that it's all backwards looking stuff, but obviously, you know, the, the vet group, it's not, you're looking at how, you know, maybe what you've done in the past, but how you can improve in the future, which is really what you need to know. Um, and then, I think that's amazing that the, the the vet comp is constantly giving you this valuation. It's not, you already kind of know what you're dealing with, which, you know, with the buy, sell, flurry, frenzy of the past would have been quite valuable, I'm sure. So that kind of gets me into my next question. Um, you know, I was with you guys at the last OVMA conference and like things have certainly slowed down, but we were still getting a lot of questions from individuals who are interested in purchasing veterinary clinics. So what are you seeing in the market now? Yeah, so as you mentioned uh, a few years ago, and everybody in the vet world also knows, a few years ago mm-hmm. there, was, there was quite a frenzy of clinics being sold for prices that uh, we certainly never expected to see or thought possible. Um, there was uh, many clients that I had that said, you know, we have no interest in selling to to a corporate buyer. And then they got a number put in front of them that was, um, frankly, just too good to be true. Right. Um, 
the frenzy actually created the the, the demand for Dave's time. Um, right. Dave was very very into the the transactional services uh, is what we call it, um, mm -hmm. and he saw a need a need in the industry that was there to be almost like an intermediary um, and assist our clients. Um, and it wasn't just the vet clients in our firm. Dave did that for mm -hmm. all sorts of uh, different types of clients, but for him, it was predominantly the, at that time, the vets that were, that were selling. Um, mm. so Dave had a relationship with both our clients also with some of the, the, uh, the lawyers that were, that we were seeing, um, a lot of times in the deals, mm -hmm. he also had built quite a relationship with, uh, some of the buyers and he got to know which ones were more attractive for different mm -hmm. types of deals because they all were different. They all offered different structures. Right. Um, so it was, a, it was a real, uh, it was a real helpful service that Dave was able to provide um, mm -hmm. to, to the clients that were actively looking to sell, but also to maybe um, some of our clients that were approached by some of these big corporations and really didn't know anything about it um, right so so the the bubble that was created by the corporate buyers it created a competitive market uh, and along with the low interest rates at the time it provided these these clinic owners with either an out because they were struggling to find an associate to buy in right. um, currently that market did cool as expected with you know um, with those buyers really buying up a ton of clinics mm -hmm. they and, and it was a frenzy it was almost like a race they were trying to buy, each company was trying to buy as many as they could um mm -hmm. so they I, what we saw was that maybe some of them didn't have the background infrastructure in place to um, properly service mm -hmm. the clinics that they were buying and provide all the things that they that they wanted to provide these owners and to keep those clinics running, you know, at a, at a rate that, that uh, made sense to, to the multiple, the, the valuation that was being used. So once that did cool, which it did, it cooled kind of in late two, 2022, we had conversations, Dave and I had a couple conversations with some of the bigger players in the market, all of them kind of telling us the same thing that they were kind of pausing, just making sure they had their feet underneath them. And then they were going to likely re-enter the market at some point. Mm -hmm. um there are still a few that are in there right now um the, the two smaller corporate buyers are p3 veterinary partners and vet care um they still have been not as aggressively looking for for clinics to buy but they are still kind of in the market their mm -hmm. structures are a little different maybe than than some of the others so and and there will be some new players we believe that come into the market that we didn't see before, such as VetCor. Um, hmm. They came in kind of late 2022. Um, we don't expect the prices to ever get back to where they were. They were just hmm. crazy. They were insane yeah. prices. Um, the, the capitalization multiple that I mentioned before, which is kind of the number that you use to, once you've once you figured out what your, what your maintainable earnings is mm -hmm. or your EBITDA or discretionary cash flow, whatever you want to call it, right. um, that multiple we've, we, we believe will likely remain in the single digits where mm -hmm. previously we saw it 
in the it's we saw, we saw it start in the high single digits and got upwards of mid 20s which was that's which wild was <laughs> yeah and and previously the the buyers were really they were they were they were a lot of them were just buying the clinics and weren't really looking to be partners with the old owners mm. a lot of the new deals new buys that we're seeing um we believe the main goal of the of these buyers are going to be to act more as partners and provide a management infrastructure mm. you know that the dvm may be currently lacking right um, which would kind of freeze it frees those dvms up to be producers mm. Mm-hmm. that makes sense that's it's just so interesting to watch it listen to it constantly change it's just i it boggles my mind that the numbers got so high and it's just always changing i think it's so interesting and i do remember the one point i wanted to bring up when you were talking about um, breaking out wages and how that factors into valuations as well because we had a really interesting episode with leah it was our very first episode talking about dvm compensations and how kind of how maybe a smaller guy might be able to be competitive uh, in attracting talent and retaining it. So rather than just just throwing a large number out there. So if anybody's listening and you haven't listened to that episode, I think that would be a valuable one to go listen to as well. Um, yeah, I think that's all my questions for now, Brendan, because it's a, it's a lot of information and I'm really hoping that our, our vet clients get some some value out of that, whether they're thinking about buying, maybe thinking about selling in the future. Things are constantly changing and uh, we have a lot of resources that can help them. Definitely. All right. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks for joining. Okay. Thanks a lot, Amy. Thanks for having me.